Amen. That is, that is what we are here to worship God for. His boundless, bottomless, endless, infinite goodness in the face of people who are not good. And if we know ourselves and our sin, we know that we are not good. We are not worthy of such goodness, but we worship a God who is infinitely worthy. A goodness that does not know any limits. A goodness that isn't diminished the more we sin against it and spurn it and reject it. Our goodness is like that. We're good to a person and the more they reject it and spurn it and push back against us, it, it decreases, it diminishes, it's not steady. God's isn't like that. It keeps going. It keeps going full strength, full force, running after us. Praise God. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to our Scripture text for our sermon today. We're in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to look together at verses 1 through 14, all of chapter 5. And I ask you to please... Stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, his people. The Revelation, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. God's word says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation." And you, may, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is God's glorious and holy word for us. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we ask that you would indeed bless the reading and especially the preaching of your word. Father, we ask that you would indeed speak to us. May this be you speaking to us today. I pray that I would recede into the background and that you and you alone, the worthy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would stand forth and show up for us from your word today. Write your truth upon our hearts. Conform us into Christ's image. Get great glory for yourself and send us out of this place eager to run in obedience and faith. For worthy is the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we hear people tell stories about some long, difficult road they had to walk in life. You know, for example, one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite songs is by Rascal Flatts because I like country music, right? And they have a song called "God Bless the Broken Road." Anybody know that song? Right, And so the whole premise of the song is, I was in all these horrible relationships. I had my heart broken time and time again, but little did I know. God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you, honey. Right? And now we're together, and it makes that whole road worth it. I couldn't see how every sign was pointing straight to you, the song says. So his, the whole point is, yeah, all, that, all the breakups, all the bad relationships, all the twists and turns, the loneliness, the self-doubting, the will I ever find stuff, all that stuff was worth it. Because it led me to you, the one that God had for me. It was worth it. We hear stories. We often say things about that. We went through a hard time, but you know what? Because of where I am today, that's how I got here, and it was worth it. We talk about things that are worth it. We talk about things that are worthy. But what does it mean to be worthy? Let's just take the word worth for a minute. For a minute. Let's think about this idea. Worth. Worth has to do with value. Something is worthy if it's valuable, if it has value to us. We say things like, is this worth my time? My time is valuable. Do I want to spend my valuable time on this thing? Is it valuable enough for me to give my time to it? Because my time is valuable. Is this worth my time? Or is this worth arguing over? 
We want to know the value of something. How worthy is it? The worth or the value of something is based on what that thing deserves. If a person deserves a raise, that means the value of that person's work is worthy of more money. Or think about if a person uh, wins a or is awarded a military medal. That means the person's military service is worthy of public honor. His service deserves to be recognized and rewarded. It's valuable. So to be worthy, it means to be deserving of our attention. Something is deserving of our admiration or our recognition, our esteem, our commitment, our support. And it's worthy, it's deserving on the basis of some value that that person or thing possesses. We talk about things like, we talk about things that are praiseworthy or a worthy cause or someone is worthy of respect. We're talking about what something or someone deserves based on some value, some worth that it has. Now for the purposes of this sermon, I want to lay out three different kinds of value or three different kinds of worth that will be relevant to the text we just read in Revelation 5. Three kinds of worth or value. I'm using worth and value interchangeably. Three things that make something worthy or deserving. Number one is intrinsic value. Intrinsic value. Intrinsic value is based on who or what you are. Based on what something is. This kind of worth is called dignity. Dignity. It refers to the natural inherent qualities and nobility that are valuable in and of themselves. So, for example, we talk about human beings made in the image of God. That means you, we say things like, you're made in God's image. You have inherent worth. You have inherent value. You deserve a certain level of respect. You deserve certain inalienable rights. God has made you in His image, and that gives you your value. You bear a resemblance to your Creator. You couldn't be more valuable. That's inherent value. Someone has intrinsic value just based on the qualities they have in and of themselves. That's called dignity. Second is moral value. Moral value is based on one's proven character and consistent behavior over time. This kind of worth is called merit. Merit. And merit refers to the qualities of goodness and justice in someone's deeds. A quality in their deeds that deserves recognition and reward. For example, there's a, say a person stands up, takes a stand for something, for some noble truth. Someone who stands up and does the right thing, no matter what, even in the face of pressure to cave and go with the crowd. They say, no, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to do what is right, I'm going to speak the truth, and it, and it doesn't matter what happens because it's the right thing to do. They, they are ethical, they are moral in their actions, in their character, in their behavior. That's someone who has moral excellence, and that is valuable. That's called merit. Third, and finally, is heroic value. Heroic value, based on some incredible feat 
that a person performs, some brilliant or amazing deed, some terrific exploit that they perform. And this kind of value is called greatness. And it refers to the qualities of magnificence or importance or heroism in someone's actions or in someone's performance. It's a quality that deserves our admiration and our awe. Now, this happens in little ways in sports, right? I'm watching the NBA Finals, and I'm watching Steph Curry tear people up. And you watch him hit these amazing shots, and you watch these incredible moments in sports, and it's like, oh my goodness, it's like someone, some force took possession of this person and did something incredible. Wow. That's why in sports events, we stand up and we go, ooh, ah, wow. Can't believe that happened. There's greatness in someone's performance. Now, that's in sports. In, in a much more important, in a bigger way, think of the person who sees someone in danger. I was reading an article the other day about someone years ago in New York City. They, the person collapses and falls onto the train tracks, and here comes the train, and everybody just freezes, and they're freaking out. Someone's got to help him, but nobody moves a muscle. They all know that someone should help them, but they just freeze. And this one guy, he, he sees what happens, and he doesn't even think. In the interview afterwards, they say, what went through your head? And he just, he said, nothing. I just, I saw it and I reacted. At great cost to himself, he put himself on the line, risked his life, jumps onto the train tracks, and he can't get the guy up in time. So he pushes him down between the tracks and lays on top of him, and the train goes right over the top of him, inches above the guy's body. And they're fine. Everybody's fine. I mean, this guy is being lauded and praised. What a hero. That's heroic value. That action, jumping into action like that, risking your life at great cost to yourself. What a valuable and heroic deed that was. That is a person who is worthy of our awe and our admiration. So we've got these three kinds of value. Intrinsic. That's dignity. Moral, that's merit. And heroic, that's greatness. Okay, so bring it back to the text. Where are you going with this? This is where I'm going with this. When we say God is worthy, what do we mean? Do we mean that, do we mean God's intrinsic worth, his dignity? Do we mean God's moral worth, his merit? Or do we mean his heroic worth, his greatness? In Revelation chapter 4, we see that God is worthy in all three of these ways. And amazingly, in chapter 5, in our passage this morning, we see that God shares his worthiness with someone else. God's worthiness is that value on the basis of which he deserves worship. God's worthiness is the value on the basis of which God deserves worship. And here we see that God shares that worship with his son, with Christ. Here we penetrate into the mystery of the Trinity on this Trinity Sunday. The one true God 
shares his worship with his son because the son shares in the worthiness of the father, in the father's dignity, merit, and greatness. It doesn't just belong to the father, but the son as well. And in Revelation 5, there's no mention about the son being God. It talks about the incarnate Jesus receiving these things. So that when we worship Christ, we do not worship him apart from his humanity. We don't leave the human Jesus behind. We worship the incarnate son who is both true God and true man. Why do we worship a human being? <laughs> because he's no ordinary human being. He is God in flesh. It's true humanity, but it is taken up into the worship of God. And because of that, Christ shares in the worthiness of the Father. So, let's dig into our passage and see how Jesus has all three kinds of, these, of this value. All three kinds of worthiness, of worth. So first, in verses 1 to 4, I call this section, Worried is the Court. Worried is the court. Let's set the scene. In verses 1 through 4, we'll just look at verses uh, 1 and 2. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So we have someone on a throne, we have an angel, we have a scroll. What's going on? We have to back up to chapter 4. And just look at what's going on in chapter 4. John says in verse 1, he has this vision. After this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne. All right, John's having a vision. The Holy Spirit takes control of him, catches him up into this heavenly vision. At once I was in the Spirit, and I behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. This is a heavenly court scene. This is the King of Kings. This is God Almighty sitting on His throne. And all these other thrones are in place around Him. And all the other kings are seated there. They're called the elders. They're all sitting there with their crowns on their heads. Verse 5 in chapter 4, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. That'll come up again in chapter 5. And before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. I mean, what a what an incredible vision he's having of the heavenly throne room. You imagine trying to grasp for human language to try and describe what God on his throne in heaven looks like and all these beings and kings and elders seated around him. He's just saying well it kind of looked like this and it kind of seemed like that. He's grasping for words to tell us what he sees. 
Second half of verse 6, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third has the face of a man, the fourth like an eagle in flight. Now, what he's done, what John has done is, in this vision, he's taking images from Ezekiel chapter 1 of these, of these mysterious beings encircling God's throne chariot in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. And he's about to take those, Im- those creatures and put them in Isaiah 6, where the, where the cherubim fly around and the seraphim fly around the throne of God and say, holy, holy, holy. He's about to identify those beings with what Ezekiel sees. He's taking Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1, putting them together. Verse 8, chapter 4, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, this is the Isaiah 6 part, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So their one job, they were created by God, eternal, not eternal, everlasting beings, created in eternity past. They have one job. They were created for one purpose. It's day and night. They never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God made these four creatures to do one thing for eternity, and that's to just say, holy, holy, holy. Their voices never get tired. They never get bored. They never think, can we take a lunch break? Can we do something else? There are other words we'd like to say. No. This is what they say. They're made for this one purpose. Verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. If you wondered where that band Casting Crowns got their name, here it is. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's the scene. And you would think, in the midst of this heavenly worship service, where they're worshiping God because He is the majestic creator of all things, that in the midst of this worship service, no one would be fretting about anything. No one would be worried but when we get to chapter 5, worried is the court. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. He's holding a scroll. Written within and on the back. Kind of like those creatures who have eyes on the outside and on the inside. He has a scroll. Written within and on the back. And it's sealed with seven seals. Right. So think about a, a wax seal in the ancient world. So you drip wax on something, take your ring press your ring into the wax, your, signet, your signature is on there, and then it dries and it's sealed. There's seven of those. Seven is a very important number in the book of Revelation. Very important for John. There's seven seals on this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Now they just said in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. But he's not going to open the scroll. God wants someone else to open this scroll. Obviously, God's worthy to open the scroll, but that's not his plan. He's looking to hand the scroll to someone else. 
who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And verse 3 says, and no one in heaven, remember God, God is not being included in this list. He obviously is worthy, but he's not going to do it. He needs someone. He wants someone else to do it. No one in heaven, not the elders, not the living creatures, not the angels, nobody. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. In verse 4, John, who's seeing this vision, says, And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John breaks down in tears. Who's going to open this? I mean, this must be a very important scroll. I mean, I can imagine a kid who can't open the, the, the peanut butter jar breaking down. I can't do it. But it's just a scroll, John. What's the, but he's weeping loudly. He's, he's just on the ground in tears. This is a very important scroll. What it has to say is incredibly valuable, incredibly important. He's holding this scroll with seven seals. What on earth is that scroll? So important that John would be on the ground. Well, this is where... He's pulling not just from Ezekiel 1, not just from Isaiah 6. He's also, very importantly, about to pull from Daniel 7, the vision of the Son of Man. This chapter, is, and chapter 4, is about God on His throne, and chapter 5 is all about the fulfillment of Daniel 7, the Son of Man coming to take His eternal kingdom. This is about the Messiah. So in Daniel, uh, in the book of Daniel, in chapter 12, he hints at what this scroll is. In verse 4, he just, in, well, he just, in verse 2, he says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the resurrection, the future state, eternal life. This is the end of days. This is the final scene when God wraps up history and concludes His great plan. And then verse 4, God, who's given this revelation through an angel to Daniel, He says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And at the very end, he says, at the very end, he tells him again, shut up the book, seal it, close it, wait until the end of days comes, and then we're going to open the scroll, and we're going to fulfill what it says. So the one who opens the scroll is the one who's going to be in charge of that resurrection day of judgment eternal life. This is the one who's going to be sovereign over the eschaton, the end. The end of days. Who is worthy to be Lord on the last day? Who is worthy to judge the nations? Who is worthy to raise the dead? Who is worthy to be sovereign over the demise of God's enemy and the conquest of the devil and the triumph of the kingdom? Who can be found who can do these things? And nobody in heaven could do it. Nobody on earth could do it. Nobody under the earth. Nobody in, no one who's in heaven. No one who's buried. No one, if there are strange powers down there somewhere. No force in heaven and earth was found 
worthy. And John is distraught. He is weeping. Who is worthy to do these things? Worried is the court. Weeping is the prophet. John. Who is the Messiah? When will he come? When will the great son of man of Daniel come and open the scroll and wrap it up? That takes us to the second point. Verses 1 through 4, worried is the court. Verses 5 through 10, worthy is the lamb. Look at verse 5. He says, and one of the elders, and there's 24 of these elders, all on thrones, and one of them gets up, walks over to John, who's crying. One of them said to me, weep no more. Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Messiah language. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David's descendant, has conquered. Someone has triumphed. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Someone has come who has conquered, and because he is a champion, a victor, a conqueror, therefore he is able, he's worthy to open the seal, to open the scroll, to break the seals, and to be the end time Lord. Weep no more, Messiah has come, Messiah has conquered. Now we see the worthiness of Jesus described in verses 5 to 10. We see his dignity, his intrinsic worth. We see his merit, his moral worth. We see his greatness, his heroic worth. Look at these with me one at a time. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw, and you would expect him to say, a warrior, a conqueror. You would expect him to say, a great king like Solomon, the root of David. You would expect him to say, a lion. He just said, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look, there he is. And you look, and you don't see Aslan. You see a lamb. You see a lion-like lamb, a lamb-like lion between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. So right in the middle of the worship service, right down front, appears a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That, that, is a, that should be a jarring picture for you. A lamb has had its throat slit, its blood drained, it's been offered in sacrifice, and it's standing. That's a weird picture. A dead lamb is what you should see if he's been slain, but you see a living lamb standing as though it used to be slain. It's not slain now, it's alive. You see... A dead lamb who's come back to life, standing with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. This is a very strange lamb. Seven horns, seven eyes. It's been killed, it's alive again, and it's standing in the midst of the throne. What's going on here? Seven horns 
in the Old Testament, the horn is the symbol of strength, of might. He has seven of those. Seven's a very important number for John. Very important in the Bible. Seven. Seven days of creation signifies the completion, fullness, perfection. He is perfect in power. He has seven horns. He has seven eyes. He is perfect in his sight, in his wisdom, in his knowledge. Nothing escapes his notice. He is he has the seven spirits of God, or you could translate it the sevenfold spirit of God, the full, complete, divine presence, the whole Holy Spirit. He has the fullness of the divine presence. Hence, he receives his eternal kingship in the next two verses. We're talking about his dignity, what he is, who he is, the intrinsic value and worth of Jesus. His tremendous perfection of dignity. And this is why he receives his kingdom. 7 and 8. And he went and took. So this lamb walks up to the throne to the Ancient of Days, God Almighty sitting there. And he takes the scroll. He takes the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The saints, the people of God, offer their prayers to him. The incense goes up to him. Incense in the Old Testament is offered in the temple as part of worship. The Lamb receives the prayers of the people of God. Golden bowls full of the worship of God's people offered up to Him as incense. Everybody's on their face. All the knees in this heavenly court are bowing, not just to the one on the throne, but the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne. They bow down before Him. And when He takes that scroll, that's His coronation. He has now fulfilled Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is what Daniel says, the great Son of Man vision. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and He came to the Ancient of Days. It's not coming down. He's going up to the throne. He's going up on the clouds of heaven to the Ancient of Days, not down to the earth. He came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him, the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the elders and the living creatures. Daniel seven fourteen, And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. Serve. It's also translated worship in the book of Daniel should serve slash worship Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He has now taken His throne. God has begun to reign in Christ, and everyone is worshiping and bowing before Him. That's His dignity. Second, His merit, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. Heaven invented a new lyric to sing to this lamb. 
Right? Those other creatures say, holy, 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 night and day. Heaven has a new song it's about to learn. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Notice the merit of Christ. We've seen his dignity. Notice his merit. Notice that he is a savior full of grace and goodness. What a lamb this is. What a Lord. What a savior he is. Look what he does. He is someone who ransoms God's people. This is someone who redeems all of God's people in every tribe of the earth, every family, every language, every people group, all nations, he goes out and he finds those who are enslaved. That's what ransomed means. It's what you did to a slave. In the Roman world, you go to someone who has slaves and you can remit, sorry, manumit is the word, manumission is the way you free a slave. And he, would, he ransomed, he redeemed slaves. He set them free. He went to their masters and he said, I'll take them. And he purchases these slaves for himself. But he doesn't keep them as his slaves. He makes them kings and priests. He sets slaves free. That's the kind of lamb he is. And he turns them into kings that's verse 10. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they, the slaves, will reign on the earth. That's what he's like. That's the kind of character he has. That's the kind of Lord he is. He's not the Lord who comes and wants more slaves and puts you back into your bondage. He's the one who breaks chains, who sets people free, who ransoms and redeems and sets you on high and lifts you up, and he exalts his people. He gives them a place in his kingdom. He gives them a, a spot in God's family. He makes them priests to God. That means they get to have access to God. That's what the priest did in the, in the Old Testament. He's the one who went between God and the people. God talks to the priest. The priest goes to the people. People talk to the priest. The priest goes and tells God what they said. He's the, he goes in between now you're a priest. You can go straight to God. He's torn the veil in the temple. He's granted us access to the Father. We can walk right up to the throne with Him. That's what He's like. He's good. His goodness knows no bounds as we heard sung to us beautifully earlier. His goodness chases us down. Oh, the merit of this one who's perfect in goodness and full of grace and truth. The one who sets the slaves free and makes the captives into kings. Finally, his greatness. We've seen his dignity. We've seen his merit. Look at his greatness. Remember, greatness is some heroic thing you've done. Merit is your steady behavior over time. A heroic deed, greatness, is something... Some brilliant, amazing thing you do in a moment, in a momentous occasion, you rise to that occasion and do something breathtaking. Notice his greatness again, verses 9 and 10. How did he ransom these slaves? How has he done it? 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. He's the kind of king who goes and lays down his own life. He's the lamb who was slain. He gives himself for us to save us from the oncoming, not the oncoming train, but the oncoming wrath of God. He saves us from it by sacrificing himself upon the cross and taking our sin and our condemnation. He sheds his blood to set us free, to ransom and redeem us, to save us. And because of the victory of the cross, because of this heroic sacrifice, because of his almighty atoning work for us, therefore he is worthy. Oh, his dignity, his merit, his greatness, his intrinsic worth, his moral worth, his heroic worth. He has done it all for us. Worthy is the Lamb. And because of that, we have only one last thing to say at the end of the chapter. We've seen worried is the court. We've seen worthy is the lamb. And finally, verses 11 to 14, worshipped is the Christ. Look at the response of heaven to this new song, to this king who has ascended his own throne next to his father to the chorus that we just read in verses 9 and 10. John sees this next, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive, and then he names seven things. The number seven is very important to John. Seven things, fullness of praise, perfect praise. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. He has the fullness of worth. Therefore, he deserves the fullness of praise. His utter and complete perfection of worthiness. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, and they worship him as well. Notice a couple things here. After the royal proclamation of verses 9 and 10, the whole host of heaven and all God's angels join the heavenly court in praise of Jesus. 11 and 12. In praise of Jesus. And compare what I just read in verse 13 to verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. It says, No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. Verse 13 says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then he adds, And in the sea. <laughs> Not just the earth. Let's throw the ocean into the whole globe, the entire cosmos, everything there is, all the stuff God made, all of it. I heard every creature, everything God has made, in the heavens and the earth, under the earth and in the oceans, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now when you hear heaven, earth, and under the earth, you should be going to Philippians 2. Philippians 2 where Paul says, Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
They will all bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we have the fulfillment of Philippians chapter 2, 9 to 11. Philippians 2 has been fulfilled when all creatures of our God and King bow to Jesus. Because of the great worthiness of Jesus, because of His dignity, because of His merit and His greatness, all creation from top to bottom worships Him alongside the Father. Do you notice that in verse 13? We haven't heard about the one sitting on the throne who was originally holding the scroll. We hadn't heard about him since verse 1. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. And then verse 14 concludes the chapter. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We started in chapter 4, one who was worshipped, and we end in chapter 5 with two who are worshipped. We see worshipped is the Christ. He shares in the worthiness of the Father. He shares in His greatness, in His merit, and in His dignity. The Son deserves to be honored just as the Father does. The Son deserves to be worshipped alongside the Father. We worship Christ in this building. We worship Jesus here. We worship the incarnate Jesus who shed his blood for us. We worship the Father and we worship the Son. And don't, don't forget that sevenfold spirit is in there as well. We worship God, Father, and Holy Spirit. We worship the Father and His incarnate Son. And it's not idolatry because this is the will of God. God wants us to honor Christ even as we honor Him. It's not idolatry. It's biblical worship. What we've just looked at in chapter 4 and 5 is a heavenly worship service. And it ended with Amen and everybody bowing down. We just participated in the worship of heaven. This is what happens day and night in heaven. They never stop saying, worthy is the Father and the Son. Christ is encircled by those creatures today as well. And we join our voices with theirs when we worship Jesus and his Father through the Holy Spirit. We see that he deserves it. We see because of who he is, what he's like, and what he's done. Worthy is the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we give you, oh, we just give you such thanks and praise this morning. Oh, we worship you for sending us your Son to be the Lion of Judah for us, the Root of David, the Conqueror, the Mighty Warrior, the Slain Lamb who has come back from the dead and now holds the keys of death and hell and the grave, and who is sovereign and supreme over earth and heaven and all that is under the earth and in all the seas, the one who is worth more than all those creatures put together, the one whose worth outstrips all we can imagine. We worship him today. We worship him because you have saved us through him. You have reconciled us through him. You have filled us with His Spirit so that we can call you Father just like He does. 
Your grace knows no limits. Your goodness knows no bounds. And we worship you today for giving us your son. And we worship your son as you command us to do. We join our worship with all the mightiest creatures of heaven. And we worship Jesus today. For we know that he indeed is worthy. Worthy of all we can give and so much more. Oh Lord, we look forward to the day when we can be in heaven with you to join our voices with this chorus. To be one among the living creatures and the elders, the hosts of heaven. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead when Christ will be here with us, face to glorious face. And we can see him for who he is. And we'll be like him fully. And we'll just be able to enjoy him forever. Oh Lord, help us to look forward to that as we worship him who is worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.